BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome to the 49ers Insider Podcast on NBCSportsBayArea.com. Introducing your host, San Francisco 49ers Insider, Matt Mayoko. Forty Niner fans, this is the Force Buckner. I'm coming up on the Forty Niners Insider Podcast. The Force Buckner will be our guest coming up on the Forty Niners Insider Podcast. We'll talk to him about growing up in the islands and about a particular, uh, very harrowing experience, uh, family experience involving his father that shaped him as a young man. Uh, DeForest Buckner. Uh, the 49ers' best player. Uh, We'll be talking to him coming up on the 49ers Insider Podcast, and then we'll also be talking to Jeff Garcia, as we do every week, the NBC Sports Bay Area analyst. We'll be talking about the 49ers quarterback situation. We'll talk to Jeff about going to Philadelphia and playing the Eagles as a visiting player. Uh, and also the great experience of being a player for the Eagles and playing in that home stadium. But first, here's my conversation with 49ers defensive lineman DeForest Buckner. And joining me now on the 49ers Insider Podcast is DeForest Buckner. Uh, DeForest, I just want to talk to you a little bit about your journey to, to get to this point and, and growing up in the islands. What, what was that like? Uh I think I told a couple people before, uh, growing up when I was younger, I always thought that we were the only people on earth because uh, just being surrounded by the, all the ocean and everything. And um, I mean, the, the island lifestyle is nice, man. It's just relaxing. Uh, you know, everybody pretty much knows everybody. You know, my, my family's real close um, and we look out for each other. So you you live um, on Oahu, mm-hmm. close to Honolulu. Honolulu is a big city. Were you more kind of on the countryside, or was yeah, were you more, kind of in a rural area? Yeah, more on the countryside. Uh, I live all the way on the west side, uh, a town called Waianae. And then you went to high school in Honolulu. In Honolulu, yeah. To uh, went to Punahou. So, so when you're growing up, do you visit the mainland? You know how how often did you come to to the continental United States? Yeah, um, growing up, I probably came to the states. Uh, I want to say twice. Yeah, I would say twice. And um I mean just growing up I always wanted to I always wanted to uh you know visit um go to college in the states and you know cuz Hawaii's so small. So when you visited the United States or the uh, continental United States, uh, what was your impression? What did you could you tell at a young age that this was a lot different than the island life? Yeah, definitely. Um you know I felt like things were more fast-paced. You know, everything back home is kind of slow motion. I, I I would say, you know, um, a real chill vibe, I guess. And, uh, you know, coming to the, coming to the States, it was just, uh, it felt like everything was just real fast paced and go. So your, your dad played basketball at Ole Miss mm-hmm. and then finished up at Hawaii Pacific. Um, your mom, what's, what's her background? Uh, she grew up playing, um, basketball and volleyball. Yeah. And, and did you gra- always gravitate to sports from an early age? Yeah, definitely. Um, 
my first sport that I played was basketball at seven years old. And um, I started playing football when I was in fifth grade. And so, you know, one of the kind of, I think I've read that it's kind of a life-changing experience for you uh, and, and your family was with the motorcycle accident your father got into. Yeah. I guess that's 10 years ago now. Mm-hmm. What Can you kind of take me through that, that night of finding out that your, your dad had been in a bad motorcycle accident? Yeah, uh, I was just getting out of the shower and I heard my mom on the phone and she didn't know who was calling her. Um, just some random person. And, um, I just remember her looking at me and saying that she has to go. Dad was, uh, dad was in an accident by 76 gas station. It's like two minutes away from the house. And when she was telling me all this, she, she rushed out. And so I had to tell my, my brother and my sister, uh, what was going on when they, when they got out of the shower and, uh, you know, I was kind of in shock. Oh, I didn't know what was going on. I didn't know if it, how serious it was. And, um, later on, uh, that night, our cousin got us and brought us to our grandma's house. And y- your dad was really injured. I mean, yeah. like severely yeah. injured. I mean, talking broken femur, crushed mm-hmm. pelvis, broken mm-hmm. ribs, punctured lung, even had some heart yeah. damage I think as well. His, his first surgery was on his heart. First, yeah. um, and uh, as I understand, he was a medically induced coma for about six months. Yeah. So what? I mean, your you're what 13 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, your your dad's in a coma for six months. What what were you able to do? Were you even able to function really through the, that time? Yeah, it was a hard time, um, you know, for me and my family. And um, my uncle Tony, my dad's brother, came down and uh, for a little bit and uh, looked after us. When my mom, you know, she was at the hospital every day. She pretty much lived in the hospital. And uh, you know, he tried to you know. Uh, take on my dad's role and try to take our minds off of everything and you know he you know we had some fun with him and, and stuff like that and uh you know just yeah i mean in school school wise you know it's hard to focus because i was always thinking about my dad you know when he's gonna wake up if he's gonna wake up all that stuff and uh i mean it was a struggle but um you know we were lucky six months later uh, he ended up waking up. Were, were you assured through that time that he was going to be okay, that he was going to make it out of it? Yeah, you know, I mean, my mom, she's she's a strong woman. And, uh, you know, she would always tell us that, you know, everything's going to be okay. Uh, you know, um, you know, telling us that the doctor says he's doing good and everything. And uh, through those six months, he, I think he had a couple of different surgeries, you know, that was going on. And, um, you know, we was always, whenever we could, we would go to the hospital and visit him, uh, you know, talk to him tell him you know while he was asleep i didn't i didn't know if he could hear us or whatever but i'd tell him what was going on in my you know in my life and uh, with sports and stuff like that do you remember your first conversation with your dad after he was out of the coma and able to really communicate to you yeah uh when he finally woke up we were all excited and um you know we were getting ready you know we were talking to him for a little bit and stuff like that and right, right as we were about to leave he asked me to stay back and uh, he told me pretty much that uh, I was the man of the house and that I had to take care of everything, you know, uh, you know, just take care of my mom, you know, do whatever she told me to, she wanted me to do and make sure I look after my little brother and my sister. So, uh, yeah, de- definitely took that role to heart because he wasn't able to do any, you know, he was just laying in bed in the hospital. So, you know, um, from that, that point on, I think it that that's the point where I started to grow up and mature a lot. 
what, how did you mature like during that time and what what extra roles did you take on in the household yeah just um things around the house you know um just doing like handyman work little things and also you know kind of watching out for my brother uh making sure he's on his school work and uh you know just trying to release some stress off my mom cuz i know she was a, is a time where she was just stressed you know um having to just listen to everything the doctors were telling her and um and just being there every day and i just wanted to try and make be that stress reliever for my mom and taking care of things that uh you know that that'll just compile extra stress for her and how's your dad doing now he's doing good uh he had surgery a couple months ago and um you know he's he's doing good he can't wait to get out here to to watch us play has he seen you play yet in the NFL? Oh yeah, he's uh they came to almost every home game last year. Yeah. And he I believe he was out here uh when you got drafted, correct? He came out the, the oh, next yeah, day. Oh yeah, yeah, the next day um yeah, my, my mom and my dad flew out with me. So I know when you got drafted, you had a party. You didn't go to to uh wherever it was. Was it New York or uh, Sh- Chicago? Chicago. Yeah. Uh you wanted to stay home mm-hmm. and experience that with my family with yeah. your family mm-hmm. uh obviously not a decision you regret i mean that had no, to be a great time yeah. to to be able to share that with so many loved ones yeah definitely um you know just everybody that was pretty much there with me from the beginning you know um through the the good times and the bad and uh you know it was just a an amazing experience to share with everybody that i love one of the things you said after you got drafted was you wanted to be drafted by a west coast team mm-hmm. Um, I did notice at the draft party, you, it appeared as if you were wearing Charger colors, <laughs> a blue a blue jacket. Is any – no. Was, um, was that uh, by accident? No, it was just uh, – I mean, I liked the the little outfit that uh, I picked out, and um, it so happened to be Charger's colors. And, uh, you know, throughout the whole process, uh, you know, the, there's people were talking, my agents were talking that um, – the Chargers were looking at me really hard, and and uh, when that uh you know when they picked Joy Boza, I was like, all right, San Francisco, and uh, you know I was hoping uh, San Francisco would pick me up, and I mean, God answered the prayers, and you know everything worked out. And so the the West Coast idea was so your family could, yeah, it would be easier, easier. for them to come come mm-hmm. visit. Definitely, uh, that's so it worked out very well. And I mean, you, you've only been in the league. One and a half seasons, but you've already experienced a lot, you know, with, you know, with Chip Kelly mm-hmm. and uh, J- Jerry Azanero uh, being your college coaches, recruiting you mm-hmm. to Oregon, and they're already, you know, somewhere, you know, they've been here and, yeah. and ready gone. Is that kind of a, almost kind of a welcome to the NFL, to the business of the NFL moment for you to see how quickly things can change? Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, just after one year, how how big of a business it is, um, it, it's crazy. But um, I mean, it's reality, and uh, you know, it's just, and, and I can see where the organization is trying to go, and um, you know, uh, it's, nobody can take anything personal because uh, it's a business, and um, you know, when it, at the end of the day, um, you just gotta move forward. Well. You um, you played a lot your rookie season, and in the off season, um. You spent some time with Michael Bennett. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you guys know each other? What, what's the connection with Michael Bennett of the Seattle Seahawks? Uh, after I got drafted, uh, I want to um, when I started going through uh, OTA, 
uh, rookie mini camp and OTAs and stuff. Mike actually texted me and reached out to me, and he was asking if I was coming back at any point uh, in the off season before training camp. Coming back to, to Hawaii. Yeah, back yeah. to Hawaii. And um, yeah, but I told him when I was coming back, and he told me we should get some work in. And you know, I'm, I'm I was you know surprised. I was excited. You know, a, a veteran guy like him. Uh, you know, reaching out to a rookie like me and, uh, you know, just wanted to get some work in and, you know, teach me some stuff. Uh, man, it was it was an opportunity I couldn't pass up. And, uh, you know, we things worked out really good. Um, and this past off season, you know, me and a couple of the other guys ended up going back out there and putting in some work with them. And he even said, you know, something that probably caught you a little bit by surprise. Uh, he, he talked about you. He said, I think DeForest will eventually become a defensive player of the year. Mm-hmm. When you heard those those words, uh, what did you think? Oh, man, it was – I was definitely uh, surprised by that, uh, you know. But, you know, for a guy like Mike to say that, I mean, um, he obviously sees something in me, uh, you know. And, um, you know, it makes me want to grind even harder, you know, for him to say that because, you know, Mike – Whatever on Mike's, whatever's on Mike's mind, you know, he says it. He's and he, he means what he says, and and uh, for him to say that, it made, really made me uh, made me happy. And um, you know, it just makes me want to, like I said before, just grind even harder. How does your your personality, you know, that from shaped in the islands with with mm-hmm. your family, um, do you have to undergo kind of a transformation to be a, a football player? You know, you seem. A very you know laid back kind yeah. of guy. So so what has to trigger for you to be as effective on the field as you you know as you have been? Yeah, uh, I mean I think everybody back home kind of got it. I mean, football is the the main sport in Hawaii. Growing up, you know, uh, my mom, all my mom's brothers played it. You know, everybody I know, everybody I know growing up played it, and um, you know everybody's. Like I, you know, like you were saying, everybody's pretty relaxed, kicked back. But I mean, when it comes to the field, I mean, it's all ball, and um, you know, you you play for the man next to you, and uh, I don't know, it's just a, a mentality that a, a switch that goes off. You know, once you put the helmet on and get between the lines, um, uh, by any means, I guess, uh, you know, you you want to, especially being on the defensive side, take the guy's head off when whoever has the ball. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. You know, the, the 49ers are, are building, mm-hmm. um, and you are certainly part of that that building process. And um, I would I would expect through the years, as you're here, more will be asked of you from a leadership standpoint. Mm-hmm. Do you embrace that? And, and what kind of leader uh, do you think that that you can be? What what could be your style of leadership? Yeah, um, I'm, I'm, growing up, I've always been kind of a lead by example kind of person. I'm not a big vocal person, you know. Um, you know, like, you know, big hoorah guy. Uh, you know, I like to show my actions more than my words, you know, because I feel like actions mean a lot more than your words, you know. Uh, but, um, you know, I've been trying to be a lot more vocal, you know, to the guys and, and you know, picking guys up or, you know, motivating guys and, and all that stuff. And, uh, you know, as uh, the year goes on, I'm definitely going to, you know, try and be more vocal throughout the year and, you know, for the years to come. Hey, DeForest, thank you very much for joining me on the 49ers Insider Podcast. Thank you. 
All right, so that was DeForest Buckner on the 49ers Insider Podcast, and now I'm joined by Jeff Garcia, as I am every week. And uh, first off, Jeff, not a whole lot of bright spots for the 49ers. 0-7 to start off the season. First time the team has gone 0-7 since 1979, Bill Walsh's first seasons, and they've never gone 0-8. But when you look at where the team is, where it's going, I mean, DeForest Buckner without question, is a building block. Well, he's he's definitely a talented young man, and he's a guy that is part of this future, part of really building around the youth and the talent, especially on the defense side of the ball. And that D-line, as young and as active as they are and as promising as their future may be, it was like boys against men. And that Dallas Cowboy offensive line is for real, and they showed why they're one of the best in the National Football League. Yeah, so the, the 49ers' uh, streak of five consecutive <laughs> close losses comes to a very abrupt end. And let, let's just go straight to a couple of questions. Uh, a lot of questions about this 49ers team based on their game Sunday against the Cowboys, but a couple of them uh, from Egmont Contreras and Brandon Garcia talk ask about the coaching and how the quarterback is being coached. And one of the questions is uh, Brandon Garcia wants to know, uh, your opinion of the play calling, and was Kyle too slow to change up the calls to protect his quarterback, C.J. Beathard? Yeah, well, I think when you look at the comparison of what C.J. Beathard went through last week, stepping on the field against Washington in the late second quarter, and uh, how they had to really scale it down, keep it simple in a sense, and especially playing on the road. A lot of quick passes, a lot of balls getting out of his hands early, getting the running backs involved, the tight end involved. Uh, now, having a week to prepare and giving all of the reps to CJ this week, I think there was more of an emphasis to get to their normal scale of offense. And I think in a lot of ways, it hurt them. I don't think they ever found a rhythm. I know that trying to find that or establish that run game has been important, but you can't get it you haven't been able to get it and then from that the standpoint of trying to create off of the run game with the play action passing game and opportunities to shoot down the field we saw in the first quarter and second quarter that those opportunities didn't present big plays if anything they were big negative plays with sacks and holding on to the ball too long and having to scramble to find room or or gain a yard and and just that's not how this offense operates there was just no rhythm to it didn't happen early it never got established put the young quarterback into difficult positions at times never got a running game going especially against a defense that was struggling against the run struggling against the pass struggling overall defensively as a team they came in and completely shut down the San Francisco 49ers it, it seemed you know obviously the 49ers offensive line isn't the best in the league but also the the quarterback and uh, this young quarterback is going to learn this that you you kind of have to make the, the quarterback's job is, in a lot of ways is to make the offensive line look better than they are. And he was holding the ball a long time. What would you suggest to CJ as, as far as, you know, you don't have to hang in there and take a hit. You don't have to make every play down the field. There are times when you just need to get rid of the ball and live to play another down. Well, I really thought in the first quarter there were some opportunities to get the ball out of his hands to some people who could make plays for him. They did a play action one time with him in the pocket. He had Kittle running a deep crossing route, deep over route, about 18 to 20 yards. 
man-to-man coverage. You got to pull the trigger. You got to give him an opportunity. He didn't pull it. It ended up either leading to a sack or a short scramble, one-yard gain. Then he comes back. He's got man-to-man coverage again. He has Trent Taylor working over the middle on what we call a basic crossing route. Well, he decides to throw the corner route. Well, that's okay, but you better complete it. Don't overthrow the guy by two, three yards. He had a great opportunity to hit Trent over the middle, which would have, again, moved the chains and found he would have found that rhythm instead of holding on to the ball, trying to make something happen. Take what the defense gives you. A lot of it starts with your pre-snap read. You have to recognize what your coverage potential is and where you're going to go with the football and how that's going to take you to your options. And I don't feel like that was happening. I don't feel like he ever found his comfort zone today. When you start to press in the National Football League, that's when things become even that much more difficult. You saw a lot of balls being batted down. You saw him holding on to the ball too long. And you then you saw a situation where late in the second quarter when they were driving, they got inside the red zone. Now you put him into a seven-step drop. When things happen that much faster in the red zone, the ball has to get out that much quicker. Now you're putting a young quarterback in a difficult position with a tough edge to block by your left tackle, which forced the the sack, fumble, and change of possession. That was a big play in the game because if they get that point, get those points, it's now a 2010 game going into halftime. They get the ball coming out in the third quarter. Let's talk about the mindset of the team. I mean, so many close losses and then just an absolute blowout um, on a day that you know was emotional, Dwight Clark Day, and now it's back on the road, uh, cross-country flight to, to face the Eagles. How does a young team respond? How, 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 what do they have to do? What does the coaching staff have to do to, to turn the page and make sure that their preparation for this upcoming game against the Eagles puts them in a spot where they can compete like they had uh, the previous five games? You really have to buckle down. You really have to look at it as a one-game season, week in and week out. You can't look too far ahead. You can't look behind. Hey, that's over and done with. All you can do is learn from what has happened. Uh, I think going through those five difficult losses, three points or less, two overtime games, was emotionally and physically draining to this young team. Then you add the fact that they played four preseason games. Now they're into their seventh game. That's 11 games. That's almost a full college season. And for a lot of these young players who are rookies, their season would be almost over. They're not even halfway through it yet. And so I think in going through those emotional struggles and the battles and the difficult, how difficult it is to win in the National Football League, it can be, it can be uh, self-defeating. In a lot of ways. And I think they need to really look at themselves in the mirror and really focus on the fact that, hey, I'm battling for a job on this team. Because, hey, let's be honest, everybody's being evaluated right now. And everybody has to put forth the effort in order to bring it together. And that's where leadership needs to step up in the locker room. And I don't know how many young guys are ready or willing to take that role on. So we had talked in kind of positive light about this 49ers team up until this point. What you saw Sunday when the 49ers played the Cowboys and got blown out, does it change the way you feel about where this team is now and and where it's going? Well, it was a major blow. 
it was a major blow in the sense that I don't think this team came out and played with the intensity, with the emotion that you need to have in order to compete at a high level in a National Football League game. And when you turn the ball over early in the game and you have self-defeating mistakes, penalties, uh, breakdowns in coverage, breakdowns in blocking assignments, those little things start to really nip at your tail. And like what happened on Sunday, you get a three and out to start the game. The defense steps up, does their job. Punt return opportunity comes. There's space to run, potentially a great return, and we fumble. And now all of a sudden it's a short field, change of possession. Dallas gets on board. They start to dominate the line of scrimmage. 49ers now all of a sudden start to doubt themselves again. Oh, here we go again, finding ourselves in a hole. And with young teams, with young players, those are emotional, difficult situations to get over. And they need to find a way to grow up fast. That's what it comes down to. You've got to mature now. Hey, you're a professional football player. You got to grow up fast. You got to put your time in, dedicate yourself to your body, to your mind, in bettering yourself. And hey, the coaches need to look at themselves as well. How can we be more effective? Do we need to simplify? Do we need to scale down? Do we need to, hey, not do so many motions and so many shifts and just let's line up and play football? That's something that those are questions that are going to have to be answered. All right. And finally, I know you went to Philadelphia as a visiting player. You were in Philadelphia as the hometown player or home uh, city player playing for the Eagles. What's it like? Uh, you know, so much has been talked about Philadelphia and how unique of a sports town that is. You've seen it on both sides. W- what can the 49ers expect on Sunday when they go in there? Now, of course, there aren't very many household names that people there in Philadelphia can hone in on. But what's it like to play in Philadelphia on both sides? Well, as a as a as an opponent going into Philadelphia, you're going to see fans that are going to show a lot of dislike and hatred toward you. They don't like anybody coming into their stadium, which is in ways how it should be, but they are ruthless in a sense. But when you're on their side, it's a great experience. I mean, playing in Philadelphia as uh, as, as an Eagle was one of the greatest experiences that I've ever been involved in in playing the game of football. And uh, the, the passion of the fans, the electricity in the stadium, just the emotional uh, excitement that they show and how their week really depends on how those Eagles do on Sunday shows how dedicated they are to their team. And they're going to let you hear it. They're going to yell things at you. They're going to say things. If they had a chance to throw things at you, they would too. But, you know, it's going to be a hostile environment. This team, this Eagles team, is a good football team. And they don't have a lot of big-name stars. Yeah, obviously we know about Carson Wentz, and he's an up-and-coming, young, talented quarterback. But they don't have a bunch of big-name guys that have been on the spotlight in the NFL. They just have a bunch of hungry football players that know how to play well together, that execute, they play tough, they play hard, much like their city. They represent that city with a blue-collar workman-like attitude and uh, you better strap it on and be ready to play the Eagles because right now they're playing great football. Yes, the 49ers better strap it on because if not, they're going to be an all-time worst start in franchise history. And uh, we will talk about this upcoming Eagles game next week on the 49ers Insider Podcast. Until then, Jeff, it's been great talking to you, and we keep saying this every week. Maybe one of these weeks we'll talk about a 49ers victory. Well, I hope so. I just don't 
have a lot of optimism about next week going to Philadelphia, but you never know. You know, going back to my last season with the 49ers, 2003, we had some ups and downs. We should have been a much better team than what our record showed, but on the road, we were terrible. And we went into Philadelphia playing against a good football team and we beat them on the road. It was one of our only wins on the road that year. And that's probably why we weren't a playoff team, but it was one of our only wins. And and not an easy feat, but we took them into overtime and got that win. So it's doable. We'll see if that's some uh, foreshadowing for this coming week. <laughs> that's right. We'll see. The 49ers Insider Podcast on NBCSportsBayArea.com. 